This is the Content Strategy Experts podcast produced by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. Welcome to Episode 5 of the Content Strategy Experts podcast. Hi, this is Sarah O'Keefe with the Content Strategy Experts podcast. I'm here today with Bill Swallow and Alan Pringle. We are here to talk about localization strategy. Uh, You probably know us as being people who do content strategy work, but we also have a growing practice in localization strategy, which brings us to the obvious first question of, hey, Bill, what's the difference between content strategy and localization strategy? (laughs) Uh, It's a good question. Um, They kind of go hand in hand for the most part, but... Your content strategy focuses on your infrastructure, your workflows, your uh, your styles, and everything else that go into producing your source content. Your localization strategy really kind of wraps around that and is used to kind of inform what your overall content strategy is. And a lot of times we talk about a content strategy or a localization strategy as a global content strategy. So you have a content strategy and a localization strategy that they kind of go hand in hand. And as I mentioned, the, the, the localization strategy kind of wraps around and informs the content strategy because everything that you need to do to produce content in all your other languages needs to be handled in the source language that you're developing content in. Um, really, they're one and the same. Uh, it's just that the, the localization strategy takes into account all of your audiences and not just how you need to author the source. So I, I, could, I can go on and on and on about this, but uh, really it comes down to building in all of the requirements that your audiences and your, your deliverable formats and users need that then inform how you create the stuff in the first place. So if content strategy is figuring out your business requirements and applying them to content, then localization strategy is figuring out your business requirements for different locales and acting accordingly. Pretty much. I mean, everything always ties back to the bottom line. And that's really, I mean, you have your business requirements for the content strategy and you certainly have... You know, business requirements driving your localization strategy, but you also have the cost of localization also driving that localization strategy. Um, and it's not to say that a localization strategy is designed to reduce cost. Uh, it certainly can, but it's really there to inform the best use of your money to produce this type of content. How, uh, what types of techniques do you want to employ in the translation, for example? Do you want to completely cut costs as much as possible and throw caution to the wind? Then you can go with some kind of a machine translation workflow and hope for the best. Do you want to produce the best, most targeted content possible? Then you're not even looking at you know, translation at that point. You're looking at what we call transcreation, which is taking the idea that you're pushing out there for your products and your services and really writing it from scratch to suit a very specific audience. So, I mean, many people come to us and ask for, they know that they need content strategy, but what kinds of things do we run into that point more towards focusing on localization? What are some of the problem sets that we get? 
there are several issues that pop into my mind immediately, and I'm sure Bill has more than I do. This is Alan, by the way. Um, you have issues of formatting to contend with. For example, when you translate content, it generally does not take the same space as it did in the source content. You have to deal with that. You may have um, differences as specific as this needs to be in this particular page size because this country uses this kind of printer to print their, their PDFs, for example. I think the biggest problem that we hear from with our clients is that the cost of localization is simply too high. They're spending too much money. And it takes too long. And it takes too long. So you've got, it's compounded. Takes too long, too expensive. There is a time to market issue here where your local your localized content, for example, is lagging six, eight months behind when the source, and in this case, let's just say it's English. It's not always, but let's just say the English is out in March and you don't get out the, say, Japanese until, you know, September, what? September October. I was going to say October. Uh, that sounds ridiculous, but it does happen. It's it, more common than you think. Right. It takes entirely too long to get the content translated. And by that point, you may have already revised your English source. And then the cost of getting that content which is outdated by the time it's done. So basically, they feel like they're overpaying for outdated content. That's one of the biggest complaints I think that we hear. I think we hear a lot of complaints about localization vendors. You know, nearly everybody leads with, we are not happy with our localization vendor. Um, Our localization vendor is terrible. They're not responsive. They take too long. They're too expensive. And the thing is, a lot of times when we go in and look at these projects and do an assessment of what the vendor is actually providing, what we find is that they never had a chance. Um, The client is complaining about the fact that the vendor is using four different words for, uh, you know, the word map in their translation, but when you go and look at the source files, you discover that the writers used seven different words for map. So all you're doing is compounding the problems that were already in the source right? via ever how many languages you're translating. But today. the localization right. process gets blamed and because they're at the fault. end of the line, yep. and they never had a chance because what they got wasn't good enough right. to deliver the quality that the client needs. Yeah, it really is a garbage in, garbage out situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if, you, if you're, I hate to say it, um, but having worked in localization and having worked on the content side for localization, you know, it really comes down to if you're not happy with the way your translations keep coming back, if it's a consistent problem, the problem isn't with the translation process. The problem is with the source content. Yeah. Near, and, nearly always. Yeah. And, now that we've got technology, these automated technologies, machine translation technologies, that you can go to you know, a website like, I'll just say Google Translate, and run content through it, and it spits out translation, there's this huge temptation to say, all this what we've been going through, doing it this way, why don't we just quit doing that process because it takes too long and just throw it into Google Translate. That opens up a whole other set of issues. And there's also too. the issue of people saying, well, since Google put it out there, why don't we just leave it up to them to translate it? That too. 
Yeah, and actually that, that brings me to a conversation I had last week, and somebody said to me, well, why would I bother translating my website when people can just bring the website up, and then if they want to, they can, you know, they can make Chrome automatically translate it through Google Translate. Right. You know, yeah. what, what's in it for me to pay for professional translation, said this person who <laughs> makes a you know, pretty expensive software product. So what's your answer to that? Um, that, that? That's great. I mean, and I hear it more times than, you know, more times than not. It's like why, you know, we want to cut the spending on localization and translation as much as humanly possible. And my first question is why? Why do you want to cut the cost? Because you don't want to invest in your content? Because you only want to invest so much in your content? So you're going to put it uh, source content first and then hope for the best in the other translations? Um, it was more like... If I use it to translate a language that I don't understand, what I get is pretty good, and I understand it. So what that and that's free. So why should I pay? Well, for first of all, <laughs> since you don't speak the language that it's being translated from into your own, you have no idea how accurate it actually is. You just know what the machine translation spat out. So it might be talking about something. You know, it might be using terminology that's completely different from what was actually intended in the source. Or embarrassing your company very badly because it is putting out borderline nonsense that has nothing to do with what you need it to be saying. And you have no idea because you don't have someone going behind those machine translations and doing checking. Or not understanding that a certain term in a certain context is uh, rather risque, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems to me that a big part of this is looking at the different options that you have for translation, ranging from, you know, don't do anything and make it the end user's problem to figure out how to get your stuff, you know, into something that they can understand via their web browser or whatever. Um, There's the option of, you know, use a commercial machine translation engine and that's trained for the kind of content you use and pay, you know, not very much, but greater than zero and maybe you do that for some kind of lower priority content or right. lower priority markets. But eventually, sooner or later, when you look at this, you reach the content that matters. It, um, it's operating instructions for a device that, if used incorrectly, can kill the operator. Or if it's a medical device, the person it is operating upon. We don't want that. Um, it is information that is, you know, there's high stakes, it's not just, uh, here's how to play this game. Uh, although gaming, interestingly, they put a lot of money into localization because people won't buy games that aren't fun to play. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, and, Yeah, of it's course, not just the term. It's not just the words either that they're localizing. Yeah, unless, of course, the localization is heroically bad and people enjoy it because it's so bad. Unintentional oh, yes. value. Uh, well, yeah. So and there are but, some websites devoted to that. Right. right. So there's, But there's this great... Uh, sort of concept of saying, well, let's look at your information and classify it into different tiers. Mm-hmm. This stuff gets machine translated. This stuff gets machine with post-editing, which is sort of like let the machine do it but clean it up afterwards. This layer gets human translators. Then you mentioned transcreation, which is the um, you know slowest, most expensive, and probably the most most effective, effective way of trans of delivering your idea. Yes. In another language and in another culture. That is the exact thing that you're doing. You're delivering the idea at that point. You're not delivering a translation. 
Um, but it's interesting, you know, hearing you talk about, uh, you know, being able to figure out what the more important bits of information are and what the lesser important bits are and using a different translation strategy for those or a different translation solution. Mm-hmm. Because what you hear more often than not is, be, you know, companies saying, well, we're just not going to translate everything that we produce. I mean, we, we produce the sun, the moon and the stars for English. But we're only going to do the operator manual and uh, the troubleshooting guide in Chinese because, you know, only the important bits of information. It's like, so why are you focusing so much effort on creating unimportant information? Or yeah, what why? makes the other information unimportant? If it's unimportant, why why are you creating it and paying for it to be created in English? Right, and why do you want your English readers to consume all this unimportant information when only the operator manual and the troubleshooting guide need to be shipped. Well, we used to, in the olden days, we used to talk about the thunk factor, which is this concept that if you're selling software, especially, and it's, you know, it's a million dollar piece of software, which does still exist, that when you deliver it, and and now it's even worse, it used to be, here's a CD, you owe us a million dollars. Well, it was much more useful to walk into that meeting where you deliver the million-dollar CD and have a couple thousand pages of books, of text documentation, so that you could thunk it on the table, and people would say, okay, we got something for our money. There was mm-hmm. this perception of pages because and Because it's tangible. Yeah, but nowadays, you, you have cloud transfer, so you, oh, you, know, yeah. you get now nothing. There's nothing. You have a footprint on a server somewhere. You could add a sound effect that says thunk, and that would be about it. You'd make a million dollars with that alone. Mm. So, you know, so there you are. And so that I think that was part of it at one point was just document everything because having a 600-page admin guide gives you credibility that this product is allowed to be that expensive because it's that complicated. Um, but so doesn't that point us right back at look at the source and it really does. do less in the source? And it just shows you how much how tightly localization and content strategies are tied together. They really because are. Because each informs the other one way. It's it's not just a one-way street. Content to localization strategy. A lot of the things that you discover on the localization side should, doesn't always, but should inform what you're doing on the source side with the source content. It does. And, and this really harkens back to you know what's at the core of a localization strategy, and that is that translation is not an end game. It starts at the very beginning of your content development, of your product development, of your marketing plan, of your sales plan. You know, when you sit down with a, a brilliant idea of getting a product out to market, the very first thing you should be doing is defining who that market is, where are they located, and what do they need. And what and that informs everything else. Yeah. How you offer the content, how you get it translated, how you get things localized, how you ship uh, you know, your product around the world, what have you. So it really is, you know, all of this planning needs to happen at the beginning. You can't wait till the end to just throw content and product over the wall and say, I don't know, you know, make it Russian or make it German and then hope that you get something good back. By then it's too late. Yeah, what Bill just said has a thousand blinking chasing lights around <laughs> it, a marquee, because that, that is, I think, the take-home most important thing from this particular podcast it should never be an afterthought. It should be part of your planning from the start. 
I think that about sums it up. So we'll wrap up and thank you for listening. We'll have some links to some useful additional stuff in the show notes and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You can't keep calling me out for my facial expressions. I'm going to have I'm to sorry. Them. They're, they're truly uh, out there. So, And we're not filming this right now. Let me just tell you As far as we know. I, I haven't know. duct taped this yet. Right. Anyways. Um, where were we? And you also have issues of the... I'm not doing well on this one.